Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Praise God. I uh, think we could have just sat there for a while longer, just in the presence. Not that I'm saying anything bad about what we just did and cutting it off, but, but no, I mean, it was just so wonderful to sit there and just soak in the presence. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? I have a scripture that I want to share because it's um, just a little step. It's Zephaniah three seventeen, where it says, "The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty; He will save; He'll rejoice over thee with joy; He will rest in His love, and He will joy over you with singing." Mm. This worship praise, and it was anointed when I walked in. There was a different atmosphere today, Pastor. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, Miss Irene, did you get my email from yesterday? Yes. <laughs> I was just curious because our, we believe that the, atmos- the, the atmosphere is shifting here at Emmaus Road. We believe this is from the Lord, and so we're taking actions in partnership with Him in order to establish it. Um, earlier this year, I was just kind of overcome with this like a realization from the Lord that I needed greater vision to the point where when it came upon me, I, I, I couldn't sit down. I couldn't sit still. There was so much moving in like when I could feel it in my chest that I, I was just going, okay, there's something going on. The Lord is doing something, right? And so there's been something stirring. And I know that, I know that the Lord's on the move and He has begun to give greater clarity about what some of the aspects of the change looks like. And um, so I've been trying to figure out exactly how to go about going into all of this. And so we're going to find our way through it because I know the Lord just uh, likes to guide us. But along with this aspect of, of greater vision, you know, when we come in, on, on Saturday mornings to service. Whenever I'm trying to prepare for what are we going to talk about, I'm always asking the Lord, what, what do you want to say today? Now, I know what the portion is. I know there's all kinds of good things we can read in the Bible. But Lord, what is it that you want to say today? And over the past month, um, the Lord has been... Uh, he's been... Uh, laying out a story for us. And I didn't expect to be moved right now. But um, the thing is, I would, I would go through times where I had a block. And then I would think, okay, maybe I've got an idea of what we're going to talk about. And then sitting in the prayer room, I would have to start on a new sheet and I'd just start writing all kinds of stuff. And I would get the message just right before coming in here. In fact, I went back and looked at a message from five weeks ago 
And what I talked on was not what I have on my computer. <laughs> because I know that the Lord rewrote it right before we came in here. And during the past five weeks, uh, it's, there's been this aspect where God's just been building a story. And I didn't really see what, was, what he was building up to until this past weekend. And so this past weekend, a few of our families, the, the Jaffees, Franklins, and Briggs, all went up to a, a Christian community up in Waco that lives um, a bit separate from the world, right? They, they, see, uh, they saw different aspects in which their way of life and, and mainstream Christianity wasn't lining up with the Bible. And they said, look, we're supposed to be more of a community that lives together, works together, grows together, that disciples one another, that lays down ourselves for one another. So we went and we spent time with them. And the fact that we don't see eye to eye on all the theological, theological aspects, I really am not worried about that. What I, what I was concerned about is going to say, what revelation has the Lord given you that we can take hold of and grasp as part of the vision of, the, of, of what God has for the body of Messiah? And how then does that spur our hearts on to go and to walk out faithfully before the Lord with the revelation that's been given to us? Right? And as we were worshiping, I was thinking about a dream I had a number of years ago where I can't remember, someone came to me who was of a, a different, um, different belief system, right? I don't know exactly what they were. Okay, I mean, I, I probably have it in my notes of what the dream was. But it was, it was someone who does believe in Jesus, right? And I went with them on a journey in this dream, and we were going through the sea. We were swimming underwater the whole way, and as we were going underwater, we didn't, we didn't have any kind of breathing apparatus or anything. We are just going through the waters. And in the waters, I'm seeing all kinds of beautiful things, right? And then we arrive at whatever the destination is, wherever their normal place is. And I got there, and I'm like, well, this place isn't, isn't for me. I need to go back to where I came from, but I'm not going to forget the beautiful things that I saw along the way, right? And... Sometimes we have to go through that, right? We have to be willing to learn from others, to humble ourselves, to set aside differences, such that we might actually hear what the Lord has to say, right? Because if all we do is we sit and we say, oh, I don't agree with you on this, you can't possibly teach me anything, then we've come into a place of arrogance and not being teachable. Right? And, I was, and I was thinking about uh, Psalm 1, blessed is, is he who does not sit in the counsel of the wicked nor sit in the seat of scoffers, I can't remember. There's something like that. Now I'm blanking on it. We say it every, we say it every Saturday in my house, and now I'm blanking. But anyway, but it's like you're blessed if you don't sit there with the scoffers, when you don't mock, right? But you make your delight the Torah of God, and you meditate on His Torah day and night, and you'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Right? So we look to God's Torah. We look to what is your design, Lord, for your creation, for your people. And we go with humble hearts to seek out what the Lord has for us. So we went and we spent a few evenings and 
our hearts were so stirred by the beauty that we saw in this community. They have the hospitality of Abraham, <laughs> open tents, and really loving one another and their guests with really a desire to just share what the Lord has given to them, right? And so they shared with us about how service-minded they are and how their community works together, how they seek the Spirit in all that they're doing. And when they have differences with one another, they pray such that they might have unity, that they might walk as one. And laying themselves down for one another, right? We live in a world that is all about the army of one, about individualism, about me, 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 right? But the body is to be about us, to be about loving our neighbor and esteeming them higher than ourselves, right? And so what I was, I was stirred by so many things. I, I can't go into all of it, but what, what, I, what I was moved by was seeing the potential for what can become even here at Emmaus Road. You know, when I, when I look at Emmaus Road and I think about where we are, we've been on a journey together. This weekend at Shavuot Max, Mark, uh, marks six years since the call came, the commissioning to start Emmaus Road. So we'll be, we're, we're at our six year anniversary of the call to begin entering into our seventh year. That's pretty exciting. Right. And then when you think about Shavuot, we're going to start celebrating Shavuot tonight. Well, that's the time of covenant increase with the Lord, where he where he it's a time of going higher in the spirit. That's why we count up to Shavuot, because there's an expectancy that God's about to move and take us into a new place. Right. How many people here today came with some expectancy? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Amen. Right? We came with some expectancy. And do we come with the this, this same expectancy every week? I don't know. But what I want to see is the expectancy grow. Right? Because the expectancy with, with we come with is really a belief that God means what His Word says. <laughs> and if, his, if He means what His Word says, that He's going to do what His Word says. And part of that is the restoration of all things, which we've been talking about over the past several weeks, about how God has given us revelation of His plan of restoration, even in the second half of Leviticus, right? And we'll, we'll probably come back and go through that at, at some point. But when we come to meet the Lord, we're coming to one of His appointments. One of his appointments that he said, I'm going to meet with you. He said, I'm going to meet with you on the seventh day every week. I'll meet with you every day. Come and meet with me. But these are special. This is a special time that I've set apart to encounter you in a greater measure. And that's the same thing with his appointed times when we enter into, into Pentecost Shavuot tonight. And as we as we were at the at this at, with this group meeting with them on Sunday night. We, we went over to one of the minister's homes and we're uh, talking. He's an artist. And we were sitting down to talk with him and we'd been asking him a little bit about his paintings. And one of the other uh, people in their community came up and he sat down and he said, hey, Daniel, tell us, 
explain to us a little bit more about how you compose a, a, a work of art. You know, how is it that you do what you do? And he said, well, before a painter puts anything to the canvas, he determines what the central focus of the painting is going to be. Okay, because if he has multiple focuses going on in the painting, they're going to detract from one another and it's going to make chaos within the painting. And so then as he said, once I've got the central focus, then I can start to look at what are the supporting items that are going to accentuate and, and give the, the central item more uh, expression or, you know, uh, increase the beauty of it. He said, and every part of the painting has a purpose. He's like the little bush over here. There's a reason. And it's not its own focus. In fact, if it's its own focus or if it detracts from the central focus, it has to be taken out of the painting. So everything within his composition has a central focus. And when the, when the person sat down to ask and asked that question, right when he asked the question, I, and I thought, I thought, this is a setup. <laughs> now, it wasn't like it was a bad setup. It was, I had a recognition in my spirit when he asked that question. It's like, I need to listen to what's, ab what's about to come because this is significant. And so as he's beginning to talk, he's talking about painting, all I'm thinking about is the body and about the vision for Emmaus Road and thinking about this is what we need. This is what we need. What is the central focus to be for the body of believers, for our congregation? And then what are all the components that go into it? And I was thinking about the central focus is exactly what we've been talking about. It's about God dwelling with man. It's about having the presence of God in our midst and having that be the central focus. And anything that takes away from our focus on Him being in our midst, dwelling among us and within us, then it's something that we really don't want. <laughs> and this verse is central to what our focus should be as a congregation, as a family, and as an individual. Okay, Exodus 25, 8 says, and let them make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Okay, so we know, we've talked about this, this verse in the, in the past, and he says, they shall make a dwelling place for me. They shall make a mishkan for me so that I may dwell betocham, Betoham, okay, that betoham means it can mean among them and it can mean within them. Okay, God's desire is to dwell among his people and within his people. And part of this aspect is this first part, let them make a sanctuary for, for me, is to it's the call for us to make space and time for God to be in our midst. And when we think about the process of restoration, the restoration of all things, you, okay, let's, let's look back to the garden, right? God walked with man in the garden. He made man for fellowship with him. And he had that communion, that intimacy. And then it was lost. But God said, no, I'm going to begin the process of restoration and he's been working out his, his plan of restoration throughout time. And we're still in that process, looking forward to the day 
when God dwells with man again. And in Revelation 21, 3, this, I mean, this is right, this is talking about the end here, after the messianic reign. The scripture says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Right? That's what we're looking forward to. That's the age to come. Right? And, and in it, there's restoration because it says, Behold, I make things all new. And every tear has been wiped away. Death has been defeated. And we get to live with him, right? Now, we talk a lot about the messianic era and we look forward to the return of Yeshua and we look forward to the age to come, right? And, and I was thinking about how oftentimes uh, within the church, there's a lot of talk about salvation, right? And about, well, where, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And are you saved forever? And all these things. And we often talk about how salvation to come is great, but salvation is also for right now. Salvation is to be lived at this very time because it's knowing God and walking with Him, right? Well, it's the same thing with God's dwelling with man. Yes, it is going to be incredible in what is to come, but, it is, but we can take hold of this now with His presence in our midst and within us. And what it requires is actually making a place for him. Miss Irene talked about how when she came in today, there was a different atmosphere. And it's because, partly, I mean, it ultimately it comes down to it's, it's because it's God's desire to dwell with us, right? But we also took extra efforts today to make this be a place where we would host his presence, right? We didn't come into this room casually. We came in with purpose of meeting God, to inviting His presence in. Not coming at all casually, but coming with expectancy, with purpose. And saying, I have a meeting with the King today. I'm not going to be late for my meeting with the King. I'm not going to miss a minute of worship. I'm not going to miss what He has to say to me today. So, within this aspect of making room for God, I was thinking about what are the things that come together to support this central focus of God's dwelling presence among us, right? Well, we have various things. There's uh, the Shabbat. There's God's appointed times. There's our time of worship, our time of serving one another, serving the body discipleship, study. There's, there's all kinds of things that go into cultivating an atmosphere. And another aspect is the culture that we create. What is it that we're doing? What is the mindset that we have when we come together with reverence, holiness, unity? Now at Emmaus Road, Okay, I guess, I guess what I want to go to is I, I feel like there's really, and there's, there's probably more, <laughs> but there's, there's three things that are accented to me about the expression of the kingdom in our midst. One of them is the scriptural foundation from which we operate and we understand God's word. 
Now, I would, I would say probably all of us came to a point where we said, you know what, there's something in our walk that isn't lining up with what I see in the scripture. And, the, and, and I want more of what this, the truth of scripture says in my life. You know, if God says this is how I'm to live, I want to live that way. I want to live that way because I, I get to see his process of redemption. I get to see how I'm becoming transformed into the image of God's Son, which is the expression of who God is, right? And so we're being transformed into his image from glory to glory, right? Through his word, through that transformative process. And so we've been pursuing this. And, and one of the things that we've said about the, the vision for Emmaus Road and what is our purpose, we talk about how we're to be a bridge between the Jewish community and the Christian community, helping Christians come to understand the beauty of Torah and who they are in Messiah and to walk in the fullness of what God has has given for the Gentiles to be. And then for, for, the, for the Jews, our desire is for them to see who the, who the true Messiah of Israel is. With this Messiah rightly represented as one who lived fully in faithfulness to the Torah and teaching others to walk in it. One who came not to replace the Jewish people, but to affirm them, turn, turn them back to full faithful observance to God, and then also to bring the nations in to walk alongside with them, right? And so we see those things, and those are very important aspects of the restoration, okay? And then within this, we've sought to create a community that would walk together, love one another, and to be unified in this expression and also with an understanding and a grace given to each other of how we're all at different points in our walk, right? We're all, but, but within our walk, we're walking the same direction, seeking God, seeking greater expression of who He is and to walk in faithfulness to Him. And so, I, so I'm seeing scriptural foundation, I'm seeing the importance of community and unity within the community. And then I see another aspect of what is our culture. Is our culture one of reverence and honor and submission to authority? And I think that there are, okay, so in all these areas, we want to honor the Lord and we want to do all these things well to cultivate a place for God to dwell, for His presence to be. And I feel like the area that we have the greatest work to do is in the area of our, our culture that we have, one of reverence and honor. And that's one of the reasons why we changed how we behave in this room today. Because one, we haven't started on time. Now, is it really important to start on time? I think it is. Not as a matter of saying, okay, this is, uh, this is what we do to earn God's presence, but rather to say, you know what, we're establishing an order. We're establishing a respect for the community. If we're saying we're going to start at 10 o'clock, then we're going to honor people's time and we're going to start at 10 o'clock, right? If we say that um, we're really coming here to encounter God, 
if we really are coming here to encounter God, then how are we preparing our hearts? Are we getting up in the morning and saying, you know what, I have a meeting with the king, and you know what, I'm not going to be late. I'm going to get up extra early so I can be there on time. I do that for the movies. Why wouldn't I do it for God? Am I afraid that I'm going to miss a trailer? Or am I afraid I'm going to miss God's presence and something he has to say in worship? I tell you what, if we're more afraid about missing a trailer than we are about missing a word from God, then we need to change. Our culture, the culture of the world, is one of, hey, I messed up, but it's okay. We went to a concert Thursday night, and that's almost what every song said. <laughs> you know, and I was sitting there, I had a hard time enjoying the concert, guys. I mean... Because I was sitting there going, man, what is our society to become, has, has it become? And how much has our society influenced who we are as a body of believers? Because the Lord says, come out from them and do not be like the nations who run before you. Do not be like them, but you will be set apart unto me. When I go, okay, so think about this too. How do I appear when I come before the Lord. If, I, if I'm invited to uh, my boss's house for dinner, am I going to go in flip-flops, torn jeans, tank top? Or am I actually going to be, you know what, I probably ought to look nice for my boss. You know, here's the thing. You don't dress up to gain acceptance. You dress up because God is worthy of some honor. It's not about you. It's about saying, you know what? This is the king of all creation. He's invited me into his house. And I am grateful for the chance to go before him. And not only that, now he's called me and he set me apart and said, you know what? You're my ambassador. You're my ambassador to represent me to each other and to those who don't know me. Are you going to be casual about what your call is? No. If we really know the glory and the holiness of our king and that we're, we are privileged to be his ambassadors, then we're going to go as his representatives in teaching righteousness, holiness, and reverence and honor. And where this starts it doesn't start right here, okay? It starts in you and recognizing who you are and what God has done for you and established you, taken you out of darkness into his marvelous light, made you a new creation, and now said, come and be with me. Learn from me. Walk in my ways and show that light to others, right? And... You know, we could, we could sit here and say, oh, you know what, Chris, you're talking kind of legalistic stuff here. Well, let me tell you first off what legalism is. Legalism is, is doing something because you think it gets you acceptance before God. Okay, if you think that keeping God's commandments is what saves you, then you're walking in legalism. If you're walking according to what God has said because you love Him and it's out of an expression of your heart, it is not legalism. If you follow every word that God has said in his commandments, 
with a heart that is turned to him, there is zero legalism in that. Now, people may look at it and say that because they haven't let the word of God transform them. And they've been misled to believe that keeping God's commandments is counter to grace. That is the farthest thing from the truth. Grace and Torah, God's commandments, are not in opposition with one another. The people of God has, have always been saved by grace through faith in God. That's the way it's always been. That's God's plan. And it will be that way forever. Like, think about this. Remember when Abraham was saved? He believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't just have a concept of uh, he didn't just have an intellectual faith. He had an abiding, living, active faith. It had expression in the world. And that's what James talks about, is the faith that is lived is a faith that is in alignment with God's salvation. Right. And so we have a call to go up higher. We have a call to go up higher to change our culture. So it starts within us. And then the next step is it has to be in our families. Because we, re we, we recreate what we are. How am I going to teach my family to walk in righteousness, holiness, honor, if I myself don't know how to walk in it? Okay? So, and then from there, we bring that culture that we cultivate at home into the community. And if we aren't cultivating that culture in our home, we bring chaos into the community. Now, let's go back a little bit to the idea that um, we're all on a journey of how do we cultivate this righteousness in this family, right? And we need to do it together. We need to be learning from each other, teaching each other, being willing to listen to advice and accept instruction so that in the end we may be wise, right? As opposed to having a, well, I'm doing it right. It's like, maybe, but we can all learn, okay? And so there's a call for us to walk together in this, to, to partner together in creating a culture that gives great honor and glory to God and creating the space for Him to move in our midst. So that's why we're changing the approach on Saturday mornings of how we come together. Um, all right, so I've spent a lot of time here, uh, but okay. <laughs> what I felt this weekend was that there, there's a convergence taking place right now. And you know, after I'd kind of had this, this revelation taking place and starting to stir in me on, on Sunday, Sunday night, I woke up Monday morning and I was just praying before I got out of bed. And I felt like the Lord said, well, the last four sermons that you've given have all been building up to this week's message about placing God's dwelling place at the center of everything that we are. I didn't plan that, Right. But he's saying, essentially, I've been leading the discussion in order to set the scene for the importance of this central focus of God's dwelling presence in our midst. And then what, 
what occurred to me once he, once he said that is uh, we just finished the book of, of Leviticus and we're entering into the book of Numbers, but Midbar, right? And this week's portion opens up with God giving the instructions of how the children of Israel are to encamp around the tabernacle. This, this week's portion is about God being, God's dwelling presence being at the center of his community. <laughs> right? You can't make this up, right? It's, so he's like, th this week's message is going to be the natural progression of what the last four weeks have been. Okay? And so I, I was excited about that. Excited about that. And we are going to talk about this week's portion. We're going to get there. Okay? But the book of Numbers opens with a census being taken, taking stock of, of all the tribes, their numbers, and getting them ready for a journey that's about to begin. Okay? And so let's go ahead and, and go there. So the book of Numbers opens with this journey. Now, what is this journey all about? Okay? The children of Israel... Okay, when, when the book of Numbers opens up, we are... In, in the first day of the second month and the year following the exodus from Egypt, okay? So when the book of Numbers opens up, we're just a little over a year, a year and half a month past the exodus. Okay? And it's 11 months from the time that the children of Israel arrived at Sinai because the children of Israel arrived at Sinai on the first day of the third month. So now we go forward. Now we're on the first day of the second month. Eleven months have passed. And in three weeks, God is going to send the children of Israel away from Sinai. And the children of Israel leave Sinai on the 21st day of that second month. And the book of Deuteronomy says that they were going on an 11-day journey to, to Kadesh Barnea from where Sinai was. Now, if you take 11 days, if you count, start at the 21st day and you go to the 11th day, depending on when the moon was sighted, you could arrive at Kadesh Barnea on the first day of the third month. One year from the time of arriving at Sinai. Okay, arriving at Sinai, it was, it was just going to be a few days later when God's presence would come on the mountain, when he would meet with his people, bring them into covenant with him, Right? And so now if you go a year later, they arrive at Kadesh Barnea and they get, get ready to cross over into the promised land. That would be another increase, another receiving of the inheritance of the promises. The only problem is they didn't arrive at Kadesh Barnea on the first day of the third month. It was about a month later. And the reason why is they got held up along the way as they began to quarrel among themselves and began to complain and to disrupt what God's plan was for their journey. So if you, th if you think about where we are right now with this convergence and God is moving, he's realigning vision and he's bringing us to Shavuot tonight and saying, are you in one accord? Are you in unity? Have you taken stock of where you are, what your hard attitude is, and are you ready for the journey ahead? And when you set out on this journey with God, what are you going to do? 
the call for us to walk in unity, to regard each other as more important than ourselves, to lay ourselves down for one another is on the increase. The need for us to cultivate a place for God's presence to go with us is all the more. You know, Moses, back when, when God said that he wasn't going to go with the children of Israel after the sin of the golden calf, Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us up from here. Because Moses knew that the central focus was God's presence. And he shouldn't go anywhere without his presence. It's like, look, you've given me your word, right? I've got your word on the tablets. I've been learning from you from 40 days, and now this sin occurred with the golden calf. I have your word, but I don't want to go without you. Right? So if we make the scriptural focus our center and say, you know what, it's all Torah, 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 Torah. We're missing something because there's more. There's a fuller expression of the kingdom. And God wants that fuller expression to be manifest in us, in our families, and in our community. And it's for us to take hold of and say, that's desirable. You, God, you said you'd go with me. I want to go with you and I'm going to grab hold with all that I have. I'm going to make the time and the space in my world and I'm going to set you at the center. The world says set everything else, everything you can get, that's your center, that's your success. And the common Christian life is to say, yeah, I'm going to pursue that success and I'm going to work God in wherever I can. Because we've let culture define how we're to live and walk. God tells us how to live and how to walk with Him at the center of our everything. The children of Israel camped facing the tabernacle. You might think that they should have been facing outward to protect from any kind of raiders who would come against them. But they didn't need to do that because God was their shield. And so they kept their eyes on Him. They camped facing the tabernacle. Because with our eyes focused on the Lord, that is where our victory will come. And then we enter into his times. Every Saturday we meet with the Lord for our weekly meeting, right? And then he's got his annual cycle that we enter into and say, Lord, what are your times? What are you doing? How are you moving in this? And every month we talk about, well, what's God doing in this month? What's the significance of this month prophetically and how do we enter into that? How do we join with God and what He's doing? And we've talked about in the past weeks too about the Shemitah and the, and the, jo and the Yovel, the, the Jubilee, and about how that's part of God's redemption too. So we, we enter into His times, into His space, and He enters into ours so that we can be together, right? And transformed. Now, so we're on the brink of a journey, just as the children of Israel were on, a, on the brink of a journey. So let's actually read here in Numbers 1. Oh, and hey, look, we've got a cool, uh, cool slide, right? Notice it says, inherit the promise. Inherit the promise. Have you thought about, they shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them as a promise? If you will make a space for me, I will dwell among you. That's a promise. 
if you come to meet with me, I'll meet with you. If you repent from your ways and turn, I'll restore you, right? I've made all the provision through Yeshua. And now come, return, okay, and inherit the promise. And so, so we, we return to God and then we, we go out and we go forward to inherit the promise. So here in Numbers 1, 1 through 4, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the peoples of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. And there shall be with you, and there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. Okay, so they're taking the census. And when they say to take the census, to count them, it's to lift up the heads of the children of Israel. Lift up the heads of the children of Israel. Think about this of being called higher, right? They're being prepared to go higher and move forward in their inheritance and in their calling, right? They've been dwelling around Sinai with God there at the center of their dwelling there on Mount Sinai. And now God says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to take you on to a destination. But before that, I'm going to, I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to bring you to a higher place. And now go with me from this higher place. And we continue on. And we get the instructions for how the tribes are to camp in Numbers 1, verse 50. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. You know, the, the Levites with their camping around the tabernacle were actually a shield to everyone else in Israel, right? They were the ones who were appointed to draw even closer to God in service than all the others. And so they had the place closer to the tabernacle. And thus, thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. And there it is. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Now, uh, we have a graphic. hope everyone's really excited about this. Um, now, <laughs> with the graphic here, I, I have it up, not that we're trying to memorize where the tribes are or anything, but this is a good representation of, you know, how it may have looked. I th I th if you look out on the website, there's a lot of different theories of how they may have been laid out. But when it comes down to... Um, where the camps are listed here, this is how it was. So here's the tabernacle with the opening facing to the east. Okay, the opening of the tabernacle faced to the east. So when worshipers came in, they faced to the west toward the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies would have been here 
at this end of the tabernacle. Now, Aaron and Moses camped directly to the east at the opening. And when I say Aaron, I'm also speaking of Aaron's descendants. So the priests and Moses camped to the east with the other the three tribes of the Levites surrounding the other areas of the tabernacle. And then you had Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar to the east. And when, they, when the tabernacle would travel, so God's presence in a cloud dwelled over the tabernacle, just as his presence in a cloud dwelled over Sinai, right? Because what was happening is God said, I'm, you've been dwelling around my presence here in the tabernacle, but now I'm moving you on but I'm going with you. And if I'm going to go with you, here's how I'm going to travel. <laughs> um, well, well, here's how we'll camp. And when we travel, Judah and the, the tribes to the east would go first, followed by Reuben and the tribes to the south. And then the, uh, the Levites and the tabernacle would come, followed by Ephraim and Manasseh from the west. And then last, Dan and the other tribes coming in at the end. And then they would set up, uh, set up camp and all camp around again once the cloud again came down to show where the resting place was. But the children of Israel would go out according to the word of God and then they would camp according to the word of God right? and what he would reveal. All right, but it, within it all, whether they, were, whether they were camped or whether they were traveling, the tabernacle was at the center. Again, God's presence in their midst was at the center. And within the tabernacle, right, you have the Holy of Holies and you have the holy place. And the holy place, you have the menorah, the showbread, and the altar of incense. And then in the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant. And within the Ark of the Covenant, you have the tablets of the Torah. Um, at the time, you also had uh, Aaron's rod, um, actually right at this moment you didn't, but, uh, and, and then the jar of manna. But, but when you look at kind of the structure here, you've got the tabernacle of the presence, and then within you have the Holy of Holies, which contains the ark, which then contains God's word, right? God's word on tablets, but it was, it was a picture of God's word written on flesh. You know, the person of Yeshua being at the center and so, um, isn't that a wonderful thing to think about, really? When, when God comes down and the new Jerusalem has come down and there is no need of the temple because God and the Lamb are the temple. And then the Lamb is the lamp. There's no need of sun or moon. Right. God's dwelling with man. All right, but... Um, so we've talked about how they're going to go on this journey to go to their inheritance. And they couldn't do it without God in their midst. No matter what their call was going to be, no matter their destination, they couldn't do it without God. Even when they got sidetracked in the wilderness and weren't able to go into the promised land but had to wander for another 38 years, do you think they could have survived without God's presence leading them through the wilderness? They needed God's presence all the way. And he said, in all these years, your sandals didn't wear out. And God provided every need. Such that man would know 
that they don't live by bread alone, but by every word or everything that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. We need to be listening for what his word is and looking for what his provision is. And we're not going to find it if we're not kept facing him. Where we're, when, if we're turned away, we need to do what repentance is, which is turn back to God. Right? So in areas where we haven't esteemed God, where we haven't given him reverence, where we haven't shown him honor, we're going to change. We're going to make it a priority to give God the glory and the honor that he is due and make Emmaus Road into a greater culture of honor and of reverence. And we're going to do it starting in our homes and with our children and within us. And, that's going to, and, and we're going to do it here too, guys. <laughs> but, but I want it to overflow. What is it? Our grandchildren. Our grandchildren too. Yes, we need every generation coming together. And even if you don't have kids, you're part of it. If your kids have grown up and have moved out, you're still part of it. Because you know what? We're all called to disciple and to teach what we know and to give the revelation that God's given to us and share it with one another, call each other higher. It's not okay to just sit back and say, well, it's all right that we, uh, we don't keep standards up. Standards that would really give God glory. Standards that would make someone come in and look at our community and say, wow, there's something different here. Now, people do come in into Emmaus Road and say there's something different here because they, they feel the spirit. We make room for the spirit. But how many of you know there's room for more? Amen. No matter where we are in our walk, no matter how close we are to God, there is room for more. And he's saying, come on, come on. <laughs> And so then we're, we're, it's our job to be like, yes, Lord, yes and amen, I will go. And I will take hold of that which you've given. Now, last year, or not last year, <laughs> last week, how about last week, a little closer in time, and even maybe the week before, I think we've, we've read this, this scripture multiple times. In Leviticus 26.2, the scripture says, my Sabbaths, my Sabbaths, or okay, I'll read this translation. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Okay. That reverence right there, that's what I'm talking about. If God says, you shall, you shall revere my sanctuary, the place of my dwelling, then it's like, that's what we need to do. We're going to honor the Lord. And, and uh, I'll, I'll confess, there's, there's been times that uh, things have been going on at Emmaus Road where I've been like, oh, I'm embarrassed. Because I see someone new come in and there's chaos. And it's like this is not representing God's holiness and part of, part of the chaos is, I mean, I'm not, I, and I'm, believe me, I'm pointing the finger back at myself too, right? It's like just, well, anyway, I look at it and it's like, I should have taken action sooner. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. But you know what? It's not a, it's not a like, oh, I'm going to feel terrible and beat myself down or whatever. It's like, no, I should have I taken action sooner. 
but I'm taking action now. And that is the aspect of repentance and the kind of renewal that God wants. He's like, you've been walking in sin? Turn from it because today is a new day. Not a, well, we need to heap all kinds of coals on you and beat you down until, until, until you've earned enough to be able to repent <laughs> or to, to, to walk aright. He's like, no, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but turn and begin to walk aright and anew. I'm excited, okay? I'm excited about where we're going. This isn't a beat down. This is a wake up call. This is a shofar blast of, you know what? God has something big that he is wanting to do in our midst, in our lives. He's calling us to it. Are we going to hear that sound of the shofar? Are we going to turn and give our everything to him and say, God, you're my center and you're, <laughs> you are the center of my life. Every, any other thing that I want to bring in actually needs to build up the focus. The central focus needs to be built up in what I'm bringing into my life. And the things that are detracting from the focus need to be painted out of the picture. And what, real, what, I, what I realized this morning, uh, you know, when the Lord said that the past four weeks had been leading up to, to this message, this morning I looked, I, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, wait a minute. The one, the, the message before that fourth one, the one where I went back and looked at my notes and it wasn't at all the same, that message was keeping our focus. <laughs> Okay, it was keeping our focus. It's like, well, to keep your focus, you have to establish what is my focus. Right? And, and, and so our focus is the presence of God manifest in our midst and in our lives. Okay. Um, where are we going now? All right, so I'm talking about the culture that we have here and the importance of our families. And uh, I don't remember if it was Mon I think it was Monday morning. I had a dream. And I feel like it's significant for, for what God is doing. And in this, in this, okay, to preface this, I did have someone ask the question of, well, how do you know that dream's about Emmaus Road and not about something else? And, and the truth is, I don't know for a fact, but I felt like it was with the dream. I've prayed about it and I feel like there's elements that would suggest that it, it, it's beyond just like a, something about me. Because oftentimes when we have dreams, God's speaking to us about what's going on with us. At other times, it's about our community. At other times, it's prophetic. You know, we've had warning dreams, we've had all kinds of things where the Lord reveals stuff to us. But in this dream, I saw this wooden plaque and the plaque had four quadrants. And it was something that was not yet complete. But I felt like when it was complete, it would be something that was like hung up on the wall, like a commemoration type thing. The top two quadrants were done. They were finished. I don't know what they said. I didn't really get a look at them, but I knew they were done. The first thing I saw was the bottom right quadrant. And in it, there was a blessing. Though I didn't, um, I don't know, I can't recall what language it was. It, but I recognized it as being a blessing 
that may have been something like the Baruch Atah or Blessed Are You. Um, but but and, and when I when I was thinking about that, it's like it's coming together like, oh, it's kind of like a blessed are you who brings forth bread from the earth or who creates the fruit of the vine. But then then I was shown that it wasn't that it was it was blessed is he who sits when the work is complete. OK, who sits when the work is complete. Now, I should I, I've never heard that one before. Right. But that's that's what the, that's what the blessing was. And the thing is, like the first part of the blessing, like the blessed is he, that was affixed to the board. It was complete. The last part of the blessing was not, it was laid out, but it wasn't set. And I saw one of the words, and it wasn't any kind of language I know, but when I saw the word, I saw the word victory within it. Okay, so something about blessed is he who sits when the work is complete and some aspect of victory there in that fourth quadrant, but it was yet to be fixed in place. And then the third quadrant I saw, and it was written out in paragraph form. And it actually every letter was on a very small circular piece of wood, but they were all laid out to tell a story, but they were not glued down. They were in place, but they weren't glued down. So again, the story was written, but it wasn't yet complete. Does that make sense? It's like the, the road the Lord has before us, it's written. But it won't be done until we walk in it. And then it'll be complete. And then comes the blessing. Right? And so I saw all that. And then I wish, I wish I'd read what the word said. You know? <laughs> but, anyway, but, I, but anyway, I saw that. And then, then I see children around the board. And I see Micah, my youngest, take a water bottle and he threw it over and across it. And I, and I recognized this as being a danger to what was on the board. And so I went over to him and I said, what do you think you're doing? You know, and so I began to ask him, why, why are you throwing that? And I began to, to question him. And, and it may have been Heather, it may have been someone else. Um, but it was, it was a woman who said, you know, you know, what are you doing? Or, you know, kind of questioning the, the manner in which I was correcting and disciplining or discipling Micah. And, and I explained, I'm like, I'm asking him questions so that he'll understand what it is that he's doing and what the impact can be. And so it was like, a, am discipling. But, but what was good is even along that is I had the recognition that that was helping me to do it with the right spirit and to do it in an effective and building up manner, right? And so it's a really cool picture of community working together and discipleship and, and, uh, and all that. And then there was at one point a child, I don't know who, um, who bumped the, uh, the, the thing and it jostled the pieces. It didn't like take them out of line, but what was, what was coming to me in that was the aspect of, you know, we have to guard what the Lord gives us. That's part of this aspect of creating the space and creating a culture and an environment where we raise up our children the way we should go or when the way they should go such that it's actually something that it's not just about, hey, you be obedient so that I can look like I have my house in order. Right? <laughs> no, it's about I actually want the children to know their purpose and their place in the family, in the body and to embrace 
the aspects of honor and reverence, not just to submit to, okay, this is what I do, right? Because it's when they understand these things and when they can actually take it to heart that the full impact of their culture of honor within them will, will manifest, right? And so that's, that's even how we work within the body. It's like I tell you, hey guys, be on time, you know? And uh, it's like, well, understand that the reason for being on time isn't so we can say, look how orderly we are. It's so that we can cultivate the environment and the presence and the attitude and the expectancy to create this space where God comes and moves, right? And uh, so same aspect with, with the children in that dream, but I felt like it was important in saying God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has it laid out. It's for us to walk in it, take hold of it, guard it, and to train our children up. And even the children in the dream doesn't have to be like young people. It can just be those who are growing in the faith, right? Because we're all children before the Lord, right? And so it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to be going forward in this so that we can go and do what God's calling. Um, t- you know, I mentioned that tonight is Shavuot and the time of increase. And, and I mentioned the, the convergence that I feel like is taking place, right? Where here God for the past month has been telling a story of his desire for restoration. And then within it all too, I had this expectancy that I was going to get vision when I went up to this, uh, this group, this community up in, in Waco. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. For weeks I was like, there's something going to happen with vision and understanding there. And then what happens? God meets and says, yeah. And in fact, if I had stepped back and like really studied, maybe I could have found it. But really, the revelation that God gave was a beautiful thing. Um, And so we've got this convergence of what he was doing over the weeks. We have this coming at the time of covenantal increase. We have the anniversary of the birth of what God is doing in Emmaus Road and a new journey set before us, whether this new journey is just spiritual growth, uh, if it's locational or geographic. It's like whatever God has for us, we want to be a part of it. And whatever it is, it needs our heads to be lifted up, brought to a higher place to go and take hold of the inheritance that he's calling us to. They shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. I don't want us to lose sight of that verse or what that means to us individually, family, and community. All right. Um, Okay, so I did want to very briefly go back over a little bit of what God has had been saying over the past few weeks, okay? Because I feel like it's, it's so important. One of the things that we talked about last week in the book of Leviticus, or about the book of, of Leviticus, that that entire book really, at a high level view, is about God's presence dwelling with man, and then, God's man, and then man's response to that and bringing God's dwelling into the world. And we talked about how, okay, I got this posted yesterday, the, the message that, that was given at Lake Houston Wilderness Park is now on our website. Um, it's kind of 
the, the first message of this series. So if you wanted to kind of go back and say, what is everything that's been building up to this? Go back and listen to that one. We'll get the others on audio as well, but the others are all on video. At Lake Houston, we didn't film it, so we just had the audio. But anyway, um, with that one, we started out saying the Day of Atonement was kind of the center point of Leviticus and begins a storyline. And the storyline starts with the death of the righteous atoning for the sins of the nation and then goes into the high priest who intercedes on behalf of the nation. And then the result of this intercession of the high priest is that the people are forgiven and purified, cleansed and made new, right? So you have this redemption or this renewal that takes place. And then right after that, you have God going into, God giving commands for the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them, that they would not walk in the ways of the nations that had walked before. So he says, you know, no, do not have any idolatry among you. Do not, uh, uh, you stay away from blood, stay away from things strangled, and no sexual immorality among you. Okay, that lays the foundation in creating a space for God to dwell. Because he said, if you do these things that the nations did before you, then I will have to send you into exile just as I kicked them out of the land. So he says, this is the foundation from where you start to create a space for me to dwell among you. And not coincidentally, those are the four commands that the council at Jerusalem in Acts 15 gave to the Gentiles to say, this is where you need to start. Okay, you need to start. You've come into this community. Now you need to actually do what the scripture says that the, the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them should do to create a space for God. And then the next portion goes in, into really a recounting of the Ten Commandments and a recalling of the covenant. So now that you've laid this foundation, you're going to come and you're going to learn the Torah of Moses every week. And as you learn the Torah of Moses, you're going to be transformed. You're going to walk in the covenant and you're going to become more and more in the image of God as he's revealed to us. Okay? And then after that, we come into God's appointed times. And he says, now you've made a space for me and you've taken hold of the covenant and you've walked in that. Now, look, you also need to make time for me. Okay, because your world is space and time. You need to make space and time for me and enter into my process of restoration because that's part of what we do. When we celebrate God's appointed times, we are, we are prophetically declaring that he is going to bring forth the entire restoration. Right? And we're remembering what he's done and we're looking forward to what he will do and what he is doing in our midst. And then he goes on into the annual cycles of the Shemitah and the Yovel. He also talks about the calling of the priesthood. Right? And so it's a natural progression of you've been redeemed. Now make a space for me. Now walk according to my covenant. Now walk according to my times and go out as my priest into the world and change the world and disciple, right? And then we come into last week's portion where we get into, we talked about the two Atbash structures, right? Leviticus 26.2 said, you shall observe my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. And then right after those scriptures, God gives us two sections, one that points back to the garden, okay? And, 
And it's, it's, it's like a, the bookends of like beginning of the garden story and then this passage in Leviticus um, that is, let's see, that, that, one had, uh, that one had its center on the land and the sanctuary. That's right, it did. So that one had the center of that Atbash structure. The focus of it was the sanctuary and the land. Okay, so you shall reverence my sanctuary. The other Atbash structure had its, it was calling back to the four expressions of redemption, and its center point was the Sabbath in God's appointed times. So again, it was time and space, time and space and the redemption. So it, all this was pointing to God's dwelling with man, all building up to how does this process play out with the redemption through Yeshua, with the called out people who walk according to God's ways, who act as a priesthood of believers, who walk in his times and make a space for him so that he may dwell. And the realization of God's dwelling with man will be complete, right? We get to partake of that now. We get to walk in that now by the Spirit, the power of God's Spirit. And speaking of the Spirit, right, God has given us everything we need for life and righteousness, life and godliness. He's given it through His Word and through His Spirit. Tonight, when we celebrate Shavuot, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the giving of God's Word, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and we're celebrating the giving of God's Spirit there at the temple at Pentecost. He's given us His Word and His Spirit. This is the time of that. This is the time of that increase. So we're going in. We're going in with expectancy. That God is moving in our midst and He's going to... He's, he's beginning something new. He's doing something new. Will you not be aware of it? Let's keep our eyes fixed on Him and let's build up these foundations that support the central focus, which is God's presence with us within our scripture, within our community, and within our culture. Amen. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for this renewed vision and this renewed focus, Lord, that it's your desire to dwell with us, your desire to move within us, your desire to lift us up so that we may go forward and accomplish what you desire to inherit the promise Lord, that everything about our being and our mindset, that we would set our mind on the things of God, not on the things of man, such that we create a time and space for you, that we would build a sanctuary for you, that you may dwell among us and within us, that your light would shine in us and through us. Lord, I ask that you would awaken us. Help us to see Where there is no vision, the people, the people perish, right? They cast off restraint. Lord, we pray for this prophetic vision, the prophetic vision to know what we're to do, that you would lead us and guide us, that we would say yes and amen to whatever it is that you desire. For our food is to do the will of him who sent us, that we might give glory to you. Lord, we thank you. We glorify you. We magnify and lift your name high in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.